Hey, listeners. As two former English teachers, Chelsea and I know the value of a good summer break for beginning the fall well-rested and creatively restored. This August, we're treating ourselves to a mini summer vacation, which means we won't be releasing brand new episodes on the main feed. However, we wanted to use this opportunity to put some great books on your radar and give you a taste of what goes on over in our Patreon Classics Club. Today, you're hearing a TBR Toppler episode filled with hefty 1920s classics that previously aired on Patreon. Our Classics Club Patreon supporters get weekly bonus episodes that include additional pairings, extra nerdy book talk, conversations about books and culture, and TBR topplers just like this one. If you enjoy today's episode, you can find part two of our 1920s classics episode, along with nearly 100 additional bonus episodes waiting for you on Patreon now. Click the link in the show notes to sign up and learn more. Now let's get to the episode. Hey, Classics Club. We're here in November and we're reading The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, which is based on The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's a really fun retelling. We're enjoying our read so far. And for our November bonus episodes, we wanted to share some 1920s classics, just a whole variety of titles that you may or may not have heard of, might have read already. You might have these on your TBR. We just wanted to share a bunch of 1920s titles to get us in the mood for our discussions this week. So Sarah, I feel like this is an era that you and I both particularly enjoy in literary history. I think that's very true. And I don't know if I could have identified that (laughs) until we started planning for this episode. I mean, I guess part of that is I, as as, an English teacher and being in school, tend to think of things more as in movements, literary movements, than in time period. I know I love modernist fiction. I ne- I wouldn't have necessarily been like, so I love books written in the 1920s, but I mean, that's exactly what that means, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've covered a, a decent number of 1920s classics on the podcast already. So we'll link those episodes in show notes for you. We've covered The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. We've covered Passing by Nella Larson. We have discussed Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. There is Confusion by Jesse Redmond Fawcett. And then I guess this is an announcement, Sarah. Do we want to share our January pick? Let's do it. J-term. First ever J-term. Yeah. For J-term, we are going to be studying the poetry and prose of Langston Hughes and We'll be reading Not Without Laughter, which is his novel written in 1930. So it's like tail end, almost 1920s here. But also we're going to be taking a look at his very first poetry collection that was published titled The Weary Blues, which came out in 1926. And he's such a Harlem Renaissance icon. I feel like he just fits in the conversation of 1920s literature. 
Absolutely. And a book that was published in 1930 was written during the 20s. So yeah, I say so it counts. True. I am also very excited to look at The Weary Blues as a collection because while I'm familiar, very familiar with his poetry, I haven't ever read it as a collection. Mm-hmm. And when we were prepping for today's episode, I just saw the weary blues on so many lists of, you know, books that defined the 1920s kind of thing. So I'm really looking forward to reading, reading that with, with our crew. Me too. So we each kind of split this a little differently. We have a part one episode, which is what you're hearing today. And then in part two, we'll share some more 1920s classic titles. So uh, personally, I have three titles and these are books that I've read and a play that I've seen. What about you, Sarah? I guess I'm calling my part one intimidating modernist fiction (laughs) that is still fun to read. (laughs) I don't know if it's still fun to read, but it's still fun to talk about. And um, I think that these are books that I'd like to eventually cover on the podcast one day and that I would be curious to hear our community's thoughts on. So Big Scary Modernist Books is the title of my part one. (laughs) I love it. I think you should start us off. What's one of the biggest and scariest of these modernist books? Well, why don't I just start with the biggest and scariest then? Um, I'll go first with Ulysses by James Joyce. I'm putting this one out there because I just think that it changed fiction. And it's one of the one of the most prominent um, stream of consciousness novels. And James Joyce was doing such interesting things with his writing. And Chelsea, you know I'm a mythology girl, so I can't resist an Odyssey retelling, even if it's a very hard to follow, hard to understand one. So Ulysses is a book that takes place in a single day. June 16th, 1904, and it follows Leopold Bloom as he wanders basically through the city of Dublin, encountering an array of figures and people and (laughs) and characters, and he's trying to make his way home to his wife, who we get to hear from at the end of the book and one of the best chapters in the book, in my opinion, and it really just like delves into the psyche of this man and the you know existence of turn of the century Dublin. I think this book is it's really challenging. It's stream of consciousness. It's um, lots of symbols. When I took a class and read this, this was the only book we read in the the class. Um, it was just deep diving into it, but we had this like companion book of annotations that was just as thick as the novel. And that's, that's how we read it. I would not recommend reading this book alone, but you don't have to take a class to read this book. You could definitely buddy read it, um, slow, but steady, like over the course of several months, maybe even as a year long project and check in at the end of each chapter or throughout the chapter. What do you think this meant? What do you think this meant? Um, and I just think that this, this sort of storytelling, even though like, I think James Joyce was a little bit like intentionally confusing, 
And I wouldn't say that's where literature has gone. I just think this this type of story has influenced so many authors, even ones who haven't read James Joyce, because it's just that powerful. And I I I think compared to so many other like 1920s books, it just is not at all. It's I mean, it's set in Dublin. It's not a New York novel. It's not a Deep South novel. I think as American readers, those are kind of the the two types of books we tend to read for 1920s lit. This one just feels so different. And I love that about it. So Ulysses by James Joyce, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll cover it one summer, Chelsea, when our babies are like grown up and self-sufficient and we have the brain power to devote to Ulysses. Um, but I would be really curious because it's one of those books that I don't I I rarely get to like talk about. I would be curious how many of the readers in our community have read this one and or how many of you have this even on your list or if this is just a book of like, no, thanks. <laughs> Not for me. Never going to touch that one. So that's Ulysses by James Joyce. It's always been on my no thanks list, but if I'm going to read it with anyone for anything, it would be with the novel pairings community. But I agree, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> Can I handle that right now? <laughs> that's that's hilarious. <laughs> I don't think I could get one paragraph into this book right now. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So speaking of uh, like books that require quite a bit of thinking, I have on this list Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Have you read this one, Sarah? I actually haven't. Okay, so this was published in 1922, originally in German and then translated to English. And it is basically just a Buddhist story of enlightenment, um, but written by this German man who just happened to be really fascinated and focused on spiritual fulfillment and enlightenment and sort of uh, philosophies and religion around that. So I actually read this, I first read it in undergrad in college in a religion class. And then I let, I think that I later read it again in grad school in maybe like a world literature class. So I think that I've read it twice or it's possible that I skimmed once, read once. It's just been a long time since I've read it. So um, I will be scant on the plot details, but just like the general idea of this very short 150 page novel um, is the story of the titular character Siddhartha, who is an Indian Brahmin who just like casts off his life of privilege. He lives in this, you know, almost royal, very lush, lavish life, but decides that he wants spiritual fulfillment. And so he leaves that life behind, leaves home with nothing and just sort of follows a path, um, meets the Buddha and by the end does reach enlightenment. That's not a spoiler because it's like the the point of the whole whole book. And it's a very short, like I said, very short 150 pages. Yeah, I remember the conversations in my classroom being really interesting. I, I enjoyed hearing a professor of religion talk about this book. And I, I don't remember much else about it, but I was surprised. So, I mean, 
like I said, I remembered reading this, but I didn't know at the time that it was published in 1922. So kind of like you, Sarah, where you were looking at these lists and like, oh yeah, that book's from the 20s. Oh yeah, that book's from the 20s. It's like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that this was 1920s literature. Also a work in translation, which is super fun to have on the list. So Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, really quick read, 150 pages. You can get a quick dose of classic lit in there. Love a quick read. And my next one is not. Uh, (laughs) It's only 350 pages, but it is 350 really complicated pages. Have you read The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner? I haven't. I so did Faulkner write some short stories. I feel like I've I've read a short story or two but not any novels. Okay. Yeah, he definitely wrote short stories. I'm not remembering the names of any of them right now, but I think As I Lay Dying is a little bit more commonly taught in high school or even college and The Sound and the Fury is maybe one of his most famous, um, but not as frequently taught. And I really wanted to pull this one because it's called The Sound and the Fury. It's taken from the Macbeth tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech. And it feels to me like a novel that fully embodies that speech, that questioning of, you know, what, what is our existence for? Is there any meaning to be made of this world? How authentic can any person really be? Or are we all just playing a part? Um, this book asks all of those questions and it's pretty bleak, but that speech is pretty bleak. And so it makes sense to me that um, this, this book takes that title. So this is a family story. It's a story about the Compson family, and it's told from the perspectives of the four children, Caddy, Benji, Quentin, and Dilsey. And they all, um, they all have very kind of unique perspectives and, and well, yeah, unique perspectives and just Uh, very different narrative voices. And it seems like it's not like an allegory or anything, but it does seem clear that Faulkner is trying to explore different ways of viewing the world, including through the character of Benji, which um, this terminology is now really offensive and inappropriate. But I think Faulkner is taking that line, um, a tale told by an idiot and using the character of Benji as somebody who is clearly neurodivergent and sees the world in a completely different way than his siblings in the sense where even time is kind of working differently for him and and the way he sees cause and effect. And I love, as hard as it is to read, I loved being in Benji's perspective. It's just a really like perspective rattling sort of read. Um, But all of the characters do that as you read. They make you question the way that you see, see the world. And this book is very challenging to read because while it's told through all of those perspectives, he's not giving you little headings of, okay, now we're in Caddy's mind. Now we're in Benji's. They shift mid-page, mid-paragraph, even mid-sentence sometimes. And so it's just, it's it's complex, but really a absolutely stunning read. And I had to bring it because connected to Macbeth, it ties our... Shakespeare to our 1920s months. Oh, I really like this book. 
I don't know if I ever want to read it again, but I really am glad that I have read it. <laughs> oh my goodness. We'll see. We'll see how many people request some Faulkner from novel pairings in the future. I mean, I I do want to read Faulkner together, Chelsea, because I just think it would be really fun to do kind of a deep dive into the way Jasmine Ward mm. uses Faulkner, but also really kind of pushes back on a lot of his ideas. And I just think that would be so fun to talk about. So that would be why I'd want to talk about Faulkner. <laughs> that sounds like a really fun J-term topic. Ooh, okay. Add it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> As we record, everyone gets to hear how we plan our seasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Sarah, did you read the Boxcar Children when you were a kid? Yes. And I really wanted three siblings in a boxcar desperately. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I had one sibling. I have one sibling still, but like he's, you know, full grown. So we're not like playing boxcar children anymore. But growing up, my little brother and I often, we had like pairs to play with. So like, this is just weirdly how it worked out. But at our small little school that we went to, a bunch of the oldest siblings were in my grade. And so a bunch of my friends had younger siblings, exactly my brother's age. So, That's so we fun. would get to like play in foursomes all the time. So boxcar children with four kids made the perfect game when we were like over at a friend's house and all of the siblings were playing together. So I read boxcar children, loved the series and then played it all the time on the playground. Because, of course, when you're a kid, the greatest thing ever sounds like going to live in a boxcar by yourself. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> but I had no idea that this series was first published in 1924. Me neither. I'm so glad you brought this. So Gertrude Chandler Warner was a first grade teacher and she wrote The Boxcar Children. And it was originally published in 1924. And then in 1942, they reissued it in sort of like a shorter revised form. So that 1942 version is probably what we ended up reading. And she wrote, I think, like the first 19 titles, maybe. And then at this point, there are like 150, 160 books in the Boxcar Children series. So it has far outlived Gertrude Chandler Warner, but she wrote the first 19 books. So, yeah, it's about these four orphaned siblings. And rather than sort of get into the foster system where they're scared that they're going to be separated from one another... They run off and find an abandoned boxcar and they somehow like get food and set up the boxcar as home. And that's where they live. Through their adventure, they end up finding their grandfather. And so the story has a happy ending. They find their grandfather. They end up moving in with him, but they keep the boxcar. I and know. So I was going to say, I, I really <laughs> remember that they kept the boxcar. Yes. <laughs> the rest of the series, I think there are some mysteries. I think there are just some other stories where the boxcar is usually involved and they like go and hang out by the boxcar and have adventures and solve mysteries and spy on people and like live on their own for a little while. It's, it is 
so fun, such an iconic children's series. And I just had to include this because the fact that it was written in 1924 blew my mind. And then in the, in the 90s, I was just devouring these and loving it and reenacting the books. And still, kids are still reading these. And if they start with number one, they're reading a book that was originally written in 1924. How cool. I'm so glad you brought that one. All right. My next book is still complex, but it's not long and it's nonfiction. So if your goal is to read some nonfiction this November and you want to fit a classic in, I highly recommend A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. So this really is one long essay, but it's long. I mean, for an essay, I think it's like 100 pages. Um, But it is a book in which she advocates for the necessity of women having creative spaces and financial resources in order to be able to both create art, but also just you know do do the intellectual things that they desire. And I've been thinking about this book a lot because I'm really excited to move into our new house where I will have an office again because I desperately need a room of my own. But also another connection to last month, one of my favorite parts of this book is the little like think piece or um, thought experiment she writes about Shakespeare's sister. Like what would have happened if William Shakespeare had had an equally brilliant sister living at the same time, like what would have become of her? And I won't spoil it for you, but that's just a really interesting exercise. It's very dramatic. (laughs) Um, And I love love all of the work she's doing in this book around women and, and creativity. So there are many beautiful editions, which you could treat yourself to and read over um, the course of nonfiction November. And yeah, I love this one. A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. That's one of the classics that is referenced in so many things Yes, that without reading it, you almost feel like you've read it because you kind of know what it's about. But reading it, especially when you do have all of those references and if you've read anything contemporary by women authors or creatives who write about the creative experience. It's so fun to sort of see those connections from that one. So highly recommend another great quick read. All right. What is your final pick for, for today, Chelsea? Okay. This is a play and I had to include it because I remember seeing it and loving it. And I haven't actually read it on the page, but I think it probably would make one that is is fun to read. I think some plays are fun to read, like Oscar Wilde's plays are super fun to read. But it is Hay Fever by Noel Coward. And this play, this is hilarious. I think a lot of our listeners who enjoy a comedy of manners, who really like banter and humor would enjoy this. So if you ever get the chance, if you see that it is being produced somewhere near you, Highly recommend going to see it. It's a comic play. It was written and first produced in 1924 and 1925. And it's kind of a farce, kind of a comedy of manners. So it's set in an English country house in the 1920s. There are four 
super eccentric family members. They're the bliss family. And if if you're the bliss family and you live in an English country house, like you have to be eccentric. There's there's no way around it. And they their outlandish and their ridiculous behavior really comes to a head when each of them invites a guest to spend the weekend. But they're so self-centered, they're so ridiculous, they're so self-absorbed that their just absolutely bonkers behavior ends up making the guests flee. But the family is so wrapped up in their shenanigans that they don't even realize that their guests are gone. And so it's a really fun play to see. I saw it at the American Players Theater. No surprise, that's my favorite place in the whole entire world several summers ago, but it was a great summertime show. The 1920s costumes were fabulous. The language is fun. The banter is fun. The 1920s language is fun. And so I, this is, you know, Noel Coward is a very famous playwright, but I don't think that I would have thought like, oh, this would be a fun play to cover on the podcast. Or like, this is a play that we should talk about with novel pairings, I wouldn't have thought of that except that it was on some of these 1920s lists because it's not one that we read in school. But I, there are such fun, bantery, ridiculous plays that that we don't get to read because we're busy, well, reading Macbeth or, or Hamlet um, or Arthur Miller or Tennessee Williams that we don't get some of these really fun, farcical British plays. So that's Hay Fever the original production, when it opened in 1925 in London, it ran for 337 performances. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly well loved. <laughs> yeah. And like some really, really famous British actresses have have starred in this play. So I would say this is definitely, you know, if you're if you're British, you might have heard of this. If you are American, like chances are you might not know that this this play is is in existence, but really fun 1920s, um, 1920s play. So, all right. Those are that's part one. Those are part 1920s one. classics. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what you have in store for us in part two. And listeners, Classics Club, we can't wait to hear what you think of the six 1920s titles we brought to you today. Let us know which ones you've read, which books define the era to you as a reader, and which of these, if any, you would like to hear us cover, give the full treatment to on on the podcast sometime. So let us know that in the comments on Patreon or head over to Discord to chime in. We'll be back next week with another bonus episode. And until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.